Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. How we doing? We good? Hey, listen, there's a couple things that I noticed right there. Uh, pastor Casey was talking about the treacherous snowstorm. What you need to know is he's from the north. And so in the south, that was a big deal, what happened yesterday. And like the roads today, not our fault that there's only like a salt truck in the south. Like that's not our big, that's not our fault. So, you know, Pastor KC can be like, oh, I hope you survived. Like that's a big deal. And I don't think I'm going to let him do announcements anymore. I think I've decided. So <laughs> we're glad that you braved the weather to get out today. Listen, yesterday our family was out. We were, we were sledding and, and playing and having a blast. Uh, my son Branson turns 13 today. And uh, which is awesome, and so he was convinced that God let it snow for his birthday. Uh, but uh, it, however you believe about that theologically, uh, we still had a lot of fun. We had a great time with our neighbors and some friends, and so we had a lot of fun. It was great. Uh, but we also all day long, I'm kind of watching the weather, and I'm I'm talking to people that know more than I do about forecasts and road conditions, and and our team was kind of dialoguing a little bit about just you know what to do about today. Here's what I know. I know that there's not really a right decision about church on those kinds of days, but there's definitely the possibility of a wrong decision. And so we don't take that lightly. We're not just going to like, you know, force church to happen on days that it doesn't need to happen because of the weather or, or other, you know, events that are taking place. But we really, after we consulted with people that are way smarter about it than me and other people that were involved in those decisions, we felt like it was right. And so thank you for coming today. It, it, for those that weren't able to make it, we understand they had to make that decision for their family, where they were at, the roads near them, their family. And, and so we understand that. There's no, uh, no issues with that. But we're thankful that you're here today. I love when we can gather together anytime it's possible to be together. And, and it's an exciting weekend in and of itself because uh, we have really started a new phase of our construction project. So downstairs, which we're, we're moving in and expanding into our space downstairs over these next few months, uh, yesterday they started putting up walls. Praise God for that so we can see some progress happening there. Uh, and the other thing that that does is it also sets the timetable that tomorrow morning that wall right there comes down. Construction begins upstairs, uh, and they're going to build a brand new wall right here where these poles are at in this room. Uh, so it changes the shape of this room so that that space there can be large enough to house the elevator and stairs that will bridge the two units together, uh, upstairs and downstairs. And so that will happen tomorrow morning. And so the reason that I'm telling you this is that when you come next Sunday, uh, it's going to look a little different, feel a little different in here. The seats will be adjusted a little bit more. Uh, and so I know many of you, you attend this 1130 service regularly. It's the best one for you, for your family, for your schedule, or you've chosen to come and do that because we've asked you to. I talk about it a pretty good amount right now uh, because we have reached our capacity at 10 o'clock on normal Sundays. So over the last few months or so, that 10 o'clock service is almost always right at or over capacity where we bring, bring in all the seats. We have standing room only in some of those services. And so if you normally attend 10, but like you didn't today because of the weather, but you could come to this 1130 service, like look around you. These folks are nice. They're not going to bite you and they like you. And so we'd love for you for the next eight weeks to consider 
uh, coming at 8.30 or at 11.30 and just kind of emptying that 10 o'clock for those that only, they have to go to that service. And and that way they can still come and be a part of our worship experiences together. So we encourage you to do that. Uh, We're thankful for construction and our teams, the the contractors that we've hired to do that work. They're great folks. And so we're excited about that. And again, tomorrow it starts to change up here, which will again just help us to see more progress taking place. Today I'm excited because we are starting a brand new series called Love You More. And really the, the, the title of this series, it's a relationship series that's going to carry us through the end of the month of February, but the title for this series was really influenced by two things. One, I started thinking about and talking with some, some of those around us, just started thinking about like, you remember like your first like loving relationship, not mom and dad, not, you know, not siblings, I'm talking about like, like your first dating, like puppy love, whatever that was, like I, I remember that. And I remember, you know, when, when, I, when I was, you know, that age, some of you, like, this was a long time ago, and just ignore that when that happens, they'll come back on, I promise. But, like, some of you, like, this was recently, like, you're in it right now. Others of you, like, um, it was a long time ago, it was like back when we lived in black and white, right? You understand, it was like in the olden days. And so, that's fine, whenever it was, some of you, you remember when that relationship was taking place, what you were doing to communicate with your significant other is you were writing letters, right? Some of you don't even know what a letter is. It's pen and paper, quill, and, and, and I don't know, whatever you use. And so you, you would write a letter or a note and pass it in school or, or hand-delivered. And so that was how you expressed your love towards this significant other in that relationship. Others of you, like you started in that dating relationship when you communicated by telephone, but like your house only had the telephone in the kitchen, but it had that little spiral cord that you could stretch all the way to like the back bedroom from the kitchen. So like everybody else was doing limbo through the house, but you had it all the way to the back bedroom so that when you were talking to the significant other, like nobody else heard you when you were like gushing your love for them and your little brother was like not listening in because there was only one phone. Others of you, when you started talking, you know, in loving, lovey-dovey ways to other people, they had a wireless, cordless phone in your house, and it was like the metal antenna that you would pull up, and you would take it, and you could hide in your bedroom and talk to those people. You hoped to God nobody else in the house had the other handset so that they would pick up and listen to you, and so, like, you could, you could kind of hide and, you know, express your love to one another, and, and so then others of you, it's cell phones and texting and, and talking on the phone. When Corey and I, so for those that don't know this part of our story, we met when we were 13 years old, became best friends, and I helped her to weather a season where she dated a bunch of guys that were wrong for her. And so then eventually she found the errors of her ways and turned her heart back to Jesus and me. And all, it's just amazing. <laughs> now listen, she has loved Jesus more than any person I've ever met my whole life, all her life. And eventually I got my life right so she could love me too. But no, so our relationship was really founded on AOL Instant Messenger. Some of you don't even know what that is, okay? But it was like the internet meets love notes meets like patience because you had to type it and then wait for it to be hand-delivered by horse-drawn buggy over the air, I don't know, to them. And so what would happen to get on AOL Instant Messenger, you had to have dial-up internet. And so it'd make a noise. It'd be like, that was the soundtrack of our love relationship was dial-up internet and AOL instant messenger. You would, like, leave the room waiting on them to respond, and all of a sudden be like, ding, and you'd go running back in there, and you'd see, no matter what the context of your loving relationship was, at some point there came a moment when it was time. You had to go to bed. You had to get off the phone. It was dinner time, whatever it was. And so one of you might express in some form this phrase. I love you. 
And then the other one, wanting to declare that they loved you way more than you loved him, they would say, no, I love you more. No, I love you more. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. No, I love you more. And so you were trying to declare that whatever it is you feel towards me, you got to know at least 1% more than that is my affection towards you. The second thing that influenced this series title was what Corey does with our kids now is that whenever they're leaving the house, if I'm taking them to school in the mornings or they're going somewhere, whatever, she will hold up the I love you sign. And, and what I learned pretty quickly, Corey's family had always done this. I'd never seen this. They, they, when you got that, when you received that, when you saw it, you would throw up another finger that says I love you too or I love you more. So one would say I love you, I love you too, I love you more, right? And so, you, and so I'd never seen that. And so the idea being here that you are expressing to someone that says they love you, they have affection for you, that you love them more than they even love you. It's like a competition that you're trying not to lose, right? And so ultimately what we're going to do over these next few weeks is just talk about relationships. Talk about what we're called to do in relationships and how we're supposed to live in the context of relationships. Now, over the last couple of minutes, I've been talking about dating and marriage and those types of relationships or even a parenting to child relationship, but we are all in relationships. Maybe you are married, so we're talking spouse, or maybe you're dating or engaged, and so you have a relationship with a significant other. You have children, or you have parents. We're all sons or daughters, or maybe you are a grandparent, so you're a pops or a GG or a peepaw or a meemaw or some Hebrew word that means something to you, and you're trying to teach your children Hebrew or Greek so that they have something unique to call you. Whatever it is that you've chosen, you have that relationship with your grandchildren. You're a co-worker, you're a boss, you're an employee, you're a coach, you're a teacher, you're a student. You are in relationship with others. And so what is it that God is asking of us in our relationships? Well, over these three weeks, we're going to look at them in a variety of ways. But today, I really want to start in kind of a philosophical way. Now, a few weeks ago, I referenced relationships in a, in a message when we were talking about finding community, and we were talking about launching our G groups. And so if you weren't here, I encourage you to go back and listen to that because it does talk about biblical community. And if you are in a G group, start taking pictures at that group, tag us at my G church so we can kind of see what's happening and share that for others. But we, we encourage you to go back and listen to that. Today, I, I want to look at a little different approach to relationships that's a little more philosophical. It's a little more like 50,000 foot view of what it is that we're called to in our relationships. And it's really starting for me in a conversation that happens between a teacher or an expert of the law and Jesus. Jesus is obviously wandering around, leading the disciples, teaching people, doing the miraculous, and he is constantly encountering people who are questioning him or asking follow-up questions to some of the teaching that he is presenting. Well, one day, and this is found in Matthew chapter 22, one day a teacher of the law, an expert of the law, asks him a question, but not so that he can learn, but in an attempt to trap or test Jesus. And this is what it says in Matthew 22, Verse 36 through 40 says, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, Jesus gives the same answer in three of the four Gospels. It's found here in Matthew. It's also found in Mark chapter 12. It's also found in Luke chapter 10. The Mark account is the same conversation. The Luke account is a little different because the, the question that comes to him is not, what is the greatest commandment? It is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so it's a little different question that actually brings the same answer from Jesus. But any of those three point us to the fact that Jesus wanted us to know that if we are in pursuit 
of some eternal home with him, if we are in pursuit of growing with him, growing in relationship with him, if we're trying to understand how to know him better and what it is he's asking of us, then we are called to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our mind, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Now, as I think through what he's saying there, it occurs to me, and this is not this is not because I'm profound, it's very right in front of us here. It's the idea that we're really looking at both our vertical relationship and our horizontal relationships. And so I want to kind of break those apart for a few minutes and look at each of them individually and see what it is that God may have for us today. The first is that vertical relationship between you and God. What did he say? He said, if you're looking at the greatest commandment here, you're saying, I'm, I'm called to, I'm commanded to love God with all of my heart, all of my soul, and all of my mind. And so I started to think, like, what does that look like individually? Like, if I, if I even split those things apart, what is it that God is calling me to do as I attempt to love God with all of my heart? Now, here's the deal. This week, at the end of this week, and, and wives, you may want to kind of cover up for a second. Um, at the end of this week, husbands, it's Valentine's Day. This year, that's on February the 14th. Um, that was hilarious. Y'all missed it. It's always on February 14th. But uh, it's Valentine's Day, and so at the end of this week on Friday, like husbands, if you don't know, like if you haven't been in a store since Christmas, it, it's like pink and red hearts, and I love you with all of my heart, right? And so here, when Jesus is saying that we are to love God with all of our heart, what is, what is it that he's, he's commanding of us? What is it that he's, he's saying to us? He's saying that we are to love God with all of our affection. There's something in culture. Every, every love song is that I love you with my heart, all of my heart. This blood-pumping vessel in the middle of my chest is the starting place for the affection and the emotion that I give to you, right? And so God's saying, hey, that's, that's really what I'm looking for. I want your affection. I want you choosing to spend your emotional energy, your affection that you produce on me. Now, again, I've said this for quite some time, but that's difficult because like in the English language, when we start talking about love, we love a lot of things. I love my wife. I love my children. I love my favorite sports teams, right? I love Mexican food. I do. I, I love fajitas. I love, I love food in general. And so when you start thinking about those things, you recognize that I can't love all of those things equally, but I am bound by the constraints of the English language to say the affection that I have, the emotions that I can expend on these things, I love each of them in these different ways. And so what is it that God is calling us to? What is he asking of us? He's saying you have a choice. When I, when I stood before friends and family at an altar with Corey, we made vows, commitments to one another to love each other in, in better and in worse, in richer and poor, in sickness and in health. It's saying, hey, on the days that you don't feel the warm fuzzies, on the days that you don't feel the butterflies and, and the sweaty palms, on those days when you have to make a choice because it's a sick day, it's a poorer day, it, it's a worse day, you are choosing to honor the commitment that you've made and to expend your affection on that day that may be harder on that day than it is on other days to say, I choose to love you. God is saying, that's what I'm looking for. I don't want you just to love me when the worship team's singing your favorite song. I don't want you just to be emotionally connected to the moment when you just got a raise and you just got a promotion and you just bought a new house and you're resting in the blessings and favor of God. I, don't, I want you to love me on the days where it's a choice for you, where you have to say, God, I, I choose to give you my affection. 
I choose to give you out of my heart the emotions of my life. I choose to control my emotions so that I give it to you even when I don't feel like it. Which begs the question for all of us, where are our affections towards God lacking? Where are we giving affection that is meant for God to other things? Where are our emotions out of control towards things that are not of God? It's a challenge to me. And if you say, well, I'm, I, man, I got a lot of work to do. I fall short in that. Welcome to the human experience. All of us fall short. All of us have these places where we're still asking God to sharpen us and to, and, and to help us to more and more reflect him and to more and more give the affection of our hearts, the emotion of our lives over to him. The second thing is like, how do we love God with all of our soul? To answer this, we've got to really understand what a soul is. Like if you, if you research it, if you look it up, you, you got, it's our spirit, it's our, our identity, it's our persona, right? It's, it's somewhere in the core of who we are. But try, rather than trying to like define it, I would say, okay, let's, let's try to figure out what it is that Jesus said to us about our soul other than loving him with all of it. Look, look at what he says here as he's talking in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see two places there where he's talking about a yoke. The yoke there is the, the teaching. It's the, it, it's the, the piece of, of, of following after a rabbi. So in that day, any rabbi or any teacher had, hey, this is, this is who I am. This is kind of uh, of the, the three or five or ten or, or 150 things that kind of separate me, make me unique in the way that I live and conduct my life. This is how I interpret the law, the Torah. This is how I'm saying that we are to live to honor God. And so Jesus is saying, like, you're taking a yoke upon you as you follow after these rabbis or teachers. If you come to me because you're burdened and you're weary and you're heavy laden, there's a heaviness on you. Like, take my yoke. My yoke is easy. He said, it's light, and I'll give you rest for your souls. It's obvious that to me that the opposite of resting in your souls there is that our souls are not at rest. That there's something about our souls now that's in chaos. That our souls are constantly in turmoil as we are trying to figure out how do we live in this culture, in this society, that says we are only as good as the last thing we've produced. We're only as good as our last report card. We're only as good as the last earnings report. We're only as good as... What we make, we're only as good as how we make other people feel. All of our relationships are transactional. They're conditional. And so we find our acceptance and our affirmation, and we find our relationships just teetering nonstop on this, I guess my soul is at rest now because everybody likes me. I guess my soul is at rest now because there's money in the account. I guess my soul is at rest because I seem to be succeeding and progressing in life. And yet he says, if you come to me, I give you a rest from me, not from what you can Produce. It's why it's so important to look to the creation story where God himself created and then he rested. He set in the law for his, his Hebrew people, his children of Israel, to set them apart from every other pagan nation around them, that there would be a Sabbath rest. So he says, even on the day where you produce nothing, you are still my child. You still have value. You still have identity in me. And so the question for me, to love God with all of my soul, says, do I trust God enough that I have value at rest? Do I trust God enough? Do I love God at rest? 
Or do I only love God at work? Do I only love God when I'm producing, when I'm, when I'm creating, when I'm accepted, when I'm affirmed, when I get the gold star and I get the A plus? Like, is that where I can love God? Or I can say, God, I love you because you love me. I receive your love. I receive your rest. And if you say, well, I, I don't know that I've got that figured out yet. I still feel like I've got to earn people's love. I still feel like the, that the love that I receive from others is conditionally based. And so I assume that the love of God is conditionally based. When I'm doing good enough, when I'm doing right, when I'm reading my Bible, and I'm in a group, and I'm serving, and I'm giving, and I'm attending, and I, I assume that's how I accept and receive God's love. And he's like, no, no, no. Loving me with all of your soul is a resting place. Are you resting in him? And then the third is that we love God with all of our mind. This is probably the easiest to understand because, you know, our, loving God with our heart, that's, that's like blood pumping and loving him with our soul, it's trying to figure out, like, what is a soul? But loving our mind, we understand that our mind is that place of thought, wisdom, knowledge. And so to love God with our mind is saying, God, I love you with all of my thoughts. I love you with all of my pursuits of wisdom. I love you with all of my pursuits of knowledge. And if that's the case, we say, okay, then, then, then how do those thoughts express themselves? This is what it says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. These should be our thoughts. Those things that are admirable and noble and pure and praiseworthy. These are the thoughts that we should be having in our minds as we attempt to love God with all of our mind, all of our thoughts. But what happens when those aren't our thoughts? Like, what do we do when we're thinking other thoughts, right? I, I've told this story before, but my dad told me that one time he was on a, a business trip, and he was in a hotel. It was late at night after all the sessions, and he's getting on the elevator, and he gets on the elevator, and he just kind of leans his head back against the back wall of the elevator, and this big guy gets on the elevator. Dad, not a big guy. This guy looked like he had just left his shift as a bouncer. And so this guy gets on, and he kind of stands next to my dad there. And my dad said, I had the most random thought. He said, I just thought, like, what if I just hauled off and punched this guy right in the face? I was like, well, Dad, I think you need to see a counselor about that. I really think that you need to talk to somebody because that is crazy. He's like, I know. It's a crazy thought, like, so random. I don't even know why I had this thought. He said, and immediately I thought, no, I don't do that. That's crazy. I mean, because if I hit him, he's going to hit me back. And he's going to get off the elevator, and I'm going to be crumpled up in the floor. Like, I, that's a crazy thought. Listen, here's what you need to know. You are not responsible for every random crazy thought that you have. But you are responsible for what you do with those thoughts. You are responsible for what you do after you have that thought. Look at this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. It says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We take captive... Every thought that does not reflect Christ. Taking captive means we have this random thought. We immediately arrest it and put it in jail and allow Christ to be the jailer. He decides when and if it gets out. We don't. 
We take captive those thoughts, and you say, well, man, I feel like I do that, and I just keep thinking some of these same random, weird, destructive types of things. It's a constant battle of you taking captive your thoughts and renewing your mind that Scripture talks about, where we are constantly leaning in to the knowledge of truth and in pursuit of the knowledge and wisdom of God, and we think on these noble and pure and holy and right and praiseworthy things, and anytime we catch ourselves thinking about other things, we say, God, I'm not loving you with my thoughts right now. Help me to take these thoughts captive and to arrest them and to give you the keys of those thoughts and God would you give me victory over these things that are going on in my mind we love God with all of our mind all of our thoughts all of our pursuits of knowledge and say well I I haven't I haven't yet done that I've got a ways to go there's still a gap in my thought life welcome to the human experience and each of these we go I'm I haven't figured out how to love God with all of my heart and all of my soul and all of my mind. We go, okay, well then, then what does that look like for me? How, how do I, how do I do that? We just recognize that you are not called by God to make your way to God by yourself. You will always fall short. But what God knew is that God knew you could never get there on your own. And so he initiated his love towards you. He initiated the work necessary to bring you to wholeness with him by sending Jesus Christ. There's two sides to this relationship between you and God, between me and God. One of those sides is, is me, my side. And I fall short time and time and time again. There are parts of my heart, parts of my mind, parts of my soul that still don't love God fully, completely, wholly. But God always keeps his side. He loves us best. He loved us first. He initiated. He accepted. He loved. While we were yet sinners, God demonstrated his love to us in that, that he sent Christ to us. That, that's, that's God's move. That's God's work in this loving relationship. But sometimes if I'm not careful, I just think about me. When I just think about me and God, and I forget that God also loves all of these other people too, all of you. Like, I I forget sometimes that God is in loving relationship with other people too, and they may fall short, but God never falls short even in their lives. And so then it comes to this horizontal aspect of relationships. I, I love that this interaction between the teacher of the law here and Jesus was only about what is the greatest commandment. You've probably noticed this before as you've, as you've read it, but he said, you know, what is the greatest commandment? That's a single thing. And yet Jesus answered more than the original question. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest, and the second is like it. Well, he didn't ask for what are the two greatest commandments. And yet Jesus said, hey, if, if you're going to get the first one, you also have to get the second one. Because as you love God, there are these other people walking through this human experience with you, and so you're, you're commanded, you're called to do something else. It's the horizontal relationships of our lives. And so as I think about this horizontal, I'm, I'm, I'm reflecting on the fact that he said to love my neighbor as myself. There is the implication here that I love myself. Now, I have met some people that love their self too much. There's a few people like that, Right? I'm just like, hey, okay, you're not that awesome. Like, don't, don't love yourself that much. You're just not that awesome, right? There's still some stuff you got to work out with Jesus, all right? I, I don't say that. I think that. And just pray for me because I'm still working some stuff out there. But there's a lot of people. It's not that they love themselves too much. It's that they don't love themselves at all. And I recognize in a room like this, you may be sitting here and you're like, love my neighbor as myself, but I don't love me. And can I just stop for a second before we do anything else and say to you, if that's you, if that's the reality of where you live, I'm not talking about like you look in the mirror and you don't like every feature you have. 
I'm not talking about you look at your story and your life and the way that things are working out and you just don't love the details of your life and how things are being orchestrated. I'm saying like you don't love you. Talk to somebody. Don't allow the enemy to cause you to isolate and to pull back thinking that no one would understand you and no one wants to hear what you're walking through. I'm saying come talk to somebody. Come talk to me. Come talk to one of our staff members. We have a counselor that would love to meet with you here at the church. We can refer you to someone else if you're just looking for communication with others about this. Get into some groups and teams, but like, let us help you to process what it is that you're feeling and what you're walking through so that the enemy doesn't convince you that everybody feels that way because they don't. It's a lie. It's a trap. We are called to love our neighbors as our. So we're called to love ourselves in a healthy, life-giving, God-honoring way because he created us in his image. And he loved us so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, for you. Whether you like you or not, he likes you. And he loves you. And so allow us to help you with that. But then we are called to love our neighbors. Well, the obvious follow-up question is then, well, who is my neighbor? If you ask that, you're not alone. In the Luke passage, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus lays this out, and the, the follow-up question is, well, who is my neighbor? And he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. I don't have time today to tell you that story, but many of you are familiar with it. It comes that this man was walking on a road. He was traveling, and he was, he, he was uh, beat up and, and robbed and left for dead. And three people uh, crossed his path. There was a priest. There was a Levite. The Levite was, was the one who was uh, set apart by God for, for really— for service in the church, service in the temple there, and, and, and used by God in really special ways. And so those two people who were seemingly the religious people, they didn't stop to help and to care for this man. But the Samaritan who came third, the Samaritan would have been the one that the Jewish listeners would have been like, that's the farthest person in the world that would have done something. Those people are good for nothing. We hate them. They hate us. No good can come from them. They're so opposite of us. And yet Jesus used the Samaritan as the story to go, hey, this is someone who stopped, who cared he met the need. He provided for more than the need. To say, hey, if, if there's more expense incurred, let me know and I'll pay it on my return trip through. And at the end of Jesus telling this story, Jesus responds to their original question. Who is my neighbor? Was the original question. And Jesus said, who was the neighbor? Different question. It doesn't allow us to isolate. Because I think the original question was like, listen, if you'll just tell me who I'm supposed to love, I'll love them. Because I'm not supposed to love everybody. That seems impossible. There's a lot of people that don't look like me, act like me, smell like me, believe like me. I'm not called to love those people. I'm only called to love people that look like me, act like me, smell like me, believe like me. So if Jesus, you'll just tell me who I'm supposed to love, I'll do that. Check the box. We're good to go. And Jesus responds by asking a whole different question that gets to our heart. He'll say, who was the neighbor? Was it the religious people, the people that seem to be the kinds of people who would do what's right? Or was it someone who seemed on the outside like they couldn't do right, and yet they might have been exactly right? And they said, well, it was the one who showed mercy. And he said, you're right. Showing mercy. Loving your neighbor as yourself. I, I am the recipient of mercy. I'm the recipient of grace. I'm the recipient of forgiveness. I'm recipient of love I do not deserve. And more often than I would love to admit, I interact with other people in unmerciful ways, ungrace-filled ways, unloving, unforgiving ways. I am not a good neighbor. Love your neighbor 
as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you'll just tell me who I'm supposed to love, I'll do it. Surely you're not asking me to love everybody. I mean, in a few months, they're going to vote differently than me. I can't love those people. They're wrong. It's funny because it's true. I'm not supposed to love that person. They don't believe like me. They believe something completely different than me. You're telling me I'm supposed to love somebody who doesn't even believe in you? No way. There's no way that's what you're saying. I've read this. That's not what it means. You tell me who to love, and I'll be their neighbor. Nowhere in these three stories is there that qualifier. And he says, no. Love God with all of your affection and all of your emotion. And love God with rest in your soul, finding your identity and your purpose in him and not in your production. Love God with all of your thoughts. And wherever you fall short, recognize that he spanned the gap for you and continue to work to cleanse yourself of those things that do not reflect him, that you receive the free gift of mercy, grace, love, forgiveness that come from him. And love those people who don't look like you, act like you, smell like you, believe like you. Because he loved them first, too. Love your neighbor. Now, as I read through these different passages in Matthew, Mark, and in Luke, when I read Jesus' response, I come to this realization. My ability to love people only comes from the love that I receive from him anyway. John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35 say this, a new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Our horizontal relationships are actually influenced by the vertical relationship we have with God. The more we give ourselves to God, the more God turns our heart toward others. But if I can step on your toes, because it's been stepping on my toes already all week, I would say this. You cannot replace loving God with loving your neighbor. That's kind of a, a, a common thing in our culture right now. It's like, oh, I just love people, love people, serve people, serve people. But we don't love God. The second is like it. But the other is true as well. You can't love God and hate your neighbor. You can't. There's no way to separate these two realities. I can't just say, well, I love my neighbor. I serve my neighbor. I give to my neighbor. I'm a great neighbor. I'm a good friend. But we recognize that in our hearts, we do not love God. I'm not talking about that, that piece where we, we still got work to do. We all have work to do. I'm saying, like, we don't love God. We're not attempting to give our affection and our emotion to God. We're not attempting to find rest for our souls so our identity comes from it. We're not attempting to take our thoughts captive and make sure that we're thinking thoughts that are pure and holy and right and praise. We're not even trying to do that anymore. We're just trying to love our neighbor and love people and be a good person to find our way to God. And he's like, no, 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 just let's work on the vertical and the horizontal. But you cannot separate the truth of this story and tell me that you love God and you hate your neighbor. I'm not just talking about the person that lives next door to you. If their dog poops in your yard and they don't do nothing about it, like, be frustrated. You can't hate them. You cannot hate people 
no matter what they look like, talk like, believe like, we're called to something higher. We're called to something more. We're called to something harder. Love God with all the affection that you can muster, taking control of the emotions of our lives, finding ourselves at rest, our identity grounded and founded in Him, with all of our soul, loving God with all of our mind, every thought we take captive that doesn't reflect Him, and every time we fall short, we say, God, I've still got work to do. We've still got work to do. Would you continue to work purifying me of all unrighteousness as I am in pursuit of you? But God, there are some people I just don't love. Would you help me to love them more? That's the heart of this place. It's why we're expanding our space. It would be so easy to stay just us. We like just us. <laughs> We've got kind of our seat and our space and our place. But there are people in this community that don't know God loves them. And they don't have anybody in their life that they believe loves them too. And so we're just creating more space to serve more people. And we're asking God, God, would you send them here? They may not look like us, act like us, smell like us, believe like us. But God, if you will send them here, we will love them to the very best of our ability because you loved us first. God, we will extend mercy to them because you gave us mercy. We will extend grace because you gave us grace. We will forgive because you forgave. God, we will do our best to love you more. And we will do our best to love them more. Because God, every time we tell you that we love you, you remind us that you love us more. Next week, we're going to talk about marriage and dating, family stuff, relationships. We're going to get down in the weeds. But today, it's great just to start. Kind of zoomed out. To say, God, do I love you with all of me? And if not, would you help me to identify those places and give them to you? And God, help me be a better neighbor. Help me to love people more. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. Nobody's looking around. In just a few moments, we're going to take communion as a response to the love of God. But before we do, we want to give you the opportunity to spend a moment in prayer. If you would say to me, Jeremy, for me, it's, it's about forgiveness of sins and the leadership of my life, and I need God to forgive me. I need God to be my Lord. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right where you're at? We want to pray for you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Anybody else? I want to pray for you. Now, if you would say, Jeremy, for me, I just, I need to know that God loves me, and I need to love myself better. Nobody's looking around. This is just a moment between you and God, and I want to know how to pray for you. But if you'd say, I just, I don't love who I am, and I want God to help me with that. If that's you, would you just honor me by lifting your hand? Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So many hands today. And if you would just say, Jeremy, I want to love people better. Uh, people that irritate me. <laughs> people that I do life with every day or people that I see just on social media or on TV somewhere. What, 
I just want to love people better because I recognize that's a reflection of God's love for me. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right where you're at? Thank you. God, thank you today that you loved us. Thank you that you loved us first, you loved us best, you initiated while we were yet sinners. You stepped into our mess and you brought peace. You provided everything that we needed for salvation through Jesus Christ. Before that, we were on our own being sacrificed and God, we accept now the free gift of salvation through Jesus and the cross. I pray now for those hands that were lifted today to say, I need God to forgive my sins and lead my life. God, heaven's throwing a huge party for folks like that today. And so we celebrate with heaven now for those who have changed their eternity and potentially changed the trajectory of their family for generations to come. God, we thank you for that. God, I pray a special prayer right now for those who lifted their hands to say, I just don't love me. It's hard to love my neighbor. It's hard to love God even because I just don't love who I am. And God, I pray right now that they would see themselves the way you see them. They would recognize that you love them so much. You created them in your image, that you sent your one and only son to die on their behalf. And God, you brought them into this place, this community of people that desire to get to know them and desire to love them unconditionally to the very best of our ability. God, let them feel your presence and your love right now. Let them seek out some community and relationships. Let them be willing to take that hard first step and talk to somebody about it. God, more than all of those things, would they just know that you love them? And would it shape the way they feel about themselves? And God, lastly, I pray for those that lifted their hands to say, I want to be a better neighbor. I need to love people more. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day, and God bless.